Good morning and welcome to Legal Defense with Kirk and John. I'm Kirk O'Bear. I'm John Birdsall. How are you doing, Kirk? I'm doing really good, John. I know that you know that I had a medical thing and then I had a family issue and I had to be on hiatus a little bit. And yep. I know that you and the rest of the crew really took care of things when I was gone. I, I appreciate that. But I'm back and I'm rocking you, and rolling. You are rocking and rolling. I'll tell you, it's, uh, you know, you get bumps in life and um, you need a minute to hit the reset button. And, yeah. Uh, How do you like my rock and roll hairdo, by the way? <laughs> you always, I wish I had that much hair that I could have <laughs> a do. I don't have, I really don't have any options left here. So, um, uh, but that's all fine. And well, so, <laughs> so I, I want to talk about some breaking news. Um, go, You've heard about our friend uh, Andrew Cuomo. I, I say that in air quotes, of course. Um, yes. But um, I, I think I heard a little something about that. Yeah. Yeah. He's swimming in a bit of trouble, um, especially amongst Democrats, including President Biden mm -hmm. um, and practically every Democrat in the New York State uh, legislature asking for him to step down as governor. And this is all based on. Of course, you know, you've kind of heard rumblings about this for a while, but there was an AG report that was released earlier this week that details a number of allegations amounting to legally and otherwise um, sexual harassment. And I don't know if you had a chance to check out his, you know, he kind of gave a press release with the slideshow where he was explaining himself. Um, <laughs> I didn't, I did I heard about it. I didn't see it. Uh, yeah. Well, he, he has a bunch of, uh, pictures of him touching people and he's like, look, I just touch people. That's what I do. Um, I touch old people. I touch young people. I touch men. I touch women. Um, and there's all these pictures of him, of him like hands on, you know, like, and, and mostly like kissing people like on the lips in many cases, you know, or on the forehead and stuff like that. So he's like, I'm just a touchy guy. That's all there so is to it. President, President Biden went through this, a very similar thing where, you know, cause he was Mr. Um, shoulder rub guy. Yeah. Right. And, um, uh, the most, the most cringeworthy one was Angela Merkel, but, um, uh, <laughs> there was a lot of complaints over the years about that. And, you know, uh, politicians do that, but I, I, um, I think he has 11 accusers at yeah, least as of it. the time of the airing of this show. And, right. uh, who knows, they may, <laughs> they increase. but three New York counties, um, uh, Albany, Westchester, and, uh, Nassau, uh, district attorney's offices in those counties have launched criminal investigations. Right. So um, I, I, I did not get a chance to read the AG's report, which I am told is uh, voluminous. Um, but the, the fact that they opened up these criminal inquiries, I don't know how significant that is. Cause I don't know really how strong the evidence is, but um, uh, I think it seems like, a real reach to me. Well, I'll tell you where there may be a problem. And this is not, you know, not in your traditional sense of like, um, you know, the sexual harassment in and of itself, I don't think is something that anyone would really be criminally charged for. And, you know, part of it are like questions, things he asked uh, interns or people that work for him or comments that he'd make. Uh, I don't think any of that amounts to being criminal. However, if you are, 
in a position of authority and there's any perception that cooperating with that sort of work environment is contingent or you know directly relates to someone's promotion or uh, what kind of job recommendations they get and things like that that you know it could be a, like an abusive office type thing you know where someone has enhanced authority they have enhanced responsibility as well um, we see this occasionally you know, in state court. I've had several cases where someone's charged with basically abuse of authority, you know, by doing something that they were able to do, which may not in and of itself have been criminal, but because of the way that they did it by utilizing their position of authority to accomplish that. It's well, the- there were several members of the staff who are among the accusers, and I believe one of um, his security detail, state trooper, but, uh, I mean, you know, if he wants to kiss me on the lips, I, you know, I'd be all right with it. But, you know, <laughs> I think, um, I think I need some remuneration for that, but, um, uh, you know, I mean, he was a, a bachelor and he was considered like Mr. Eligible bachelor for his age group, um, because he was a very powerful man. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because, one of his hallmarks of his um, style was browbeating people, yes, and um, and intimidating people, and um, not like Trump did, but you know, but it was a it was a no holds barred because uh, I remember the last election, and he got some pretty serious challenges from inside his own party, uh, and he didn't just like argue his way out. He he took the gloves off, picked up a bat, and went mm-hmm. to work politically, and he right. won. And he pretty, <laughs> won pretty big. So yeah. now people that were you know, so people were afraid to take him on, and that's of course the whole point of intimidation, you know, um, is for people to be fearful of you. And um, and the question now is, uh, what happens to him because? I really don't see these criminal prosecutions going anywhere. I don't know the facts. Maybe they're really strong, but um, I somehow sense that they are not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, impeachment is a very real possibility here as a legal. I, I agree with you. I agree with you because, and, and just look at the dynamics. I'll follow up on what you just said. Um, his style is to be very brash, be very, you know, I'm right, you're wrong. Everything's very black and white. He's that kind of has that kind of leadership. Almost, you know, I've known people in the military that were like that to varying degrees of effectiveness. But I think that um, it's going to come to a point where he has virtually no support within his own party. That's the problem. See, he's a Democrat, and mm-hmm. uh, when people, when you use uh, past situations as precedent, such as Al Franken, for example, you know, resigns from the Senate of all things based on a, a photograph, a that, single uh, photograph, yeah. single photograph. And, you know, he could have emboldened himself and said, I'm going to stand up for this and this was wrong and I deserve to be here and I shouldn't be. But what he realized, which I think happens a lot in these situations is that he knew that by emboldening and entrenching himself in the controversy, he was actually detracting from, uh, the effectiveness of his position in office. So, so I'm going to give you a exactly little, what's going to happen here. I'm going to give you a little pushback there. I think you're right in the um, analysis, or at least 
you know, for a time that would be correct. But um, I personally think that people who face these kind of uh, politicians, I mean, who face these kind of controversies should weather them out a little bit more and not like Democrats seem to eat their own constantly. Al Franken's a perfect example of that because you talk about a guy who was incredibly effective um, as a senator. And um, I mean, even if you hated everything he did, you cannot argue his intelligence and his effectiveness. Right. And for him just to be like, um, completely just thrown under the bus by um, every congressional leader that uh, was around instantly. Um, I, I just, well, first of all, I thought it was kind of cowardly and disgraceful. Uh, and, you know, I mean, the punishment should fit the crime. And if the crime was, I took a stupid picture um, and I shouldn't have done it. Uh, that's, that's, that's something that, that, that you get, um, you know, scolded for and right. don't do it again. Inappropriate. Now, yeah. in Cuomo's case, <clears throat> the calls for his res- resignation are not out of line. Um, not just because of his, you know, his, his diminished power and effectiveness, but, you know, if, if the allegations are to be believed, a lot of them involve, um, uh, you know, touching. And I don't, and I don't know if there's any like, actual sexual touching or if it's just not that I'm aware like, of not that I'm aware of the things that they're focusing on. I think the, the worst thing that's been brought out was his uh, questioning of, he had a conversation with one of his staffers who had been a victim of sexual assault in the past. And the discussion went in the direction of, well, tell me about your sex life now, you know, and she felt very uncomfortable about it. And then he defended himself just, just earlier this week saying, I thought it was an entirely appropriate discussion. I was, asking her things that I wouldn't normally ask somebody. It was in the context of, uh, you know, trying to be a mentor or something like that. And she's like, I, that's not at all how I took it. He was hitting on me, you know, type thing. But yeah, yeah well, we got to take a break, John. So okay. it's a good time for our sponsors to chime in and let us know what they have to say. So we'll be right back after these messages. We are back. You know, we, made it back. we survived another commercial break. We so, you know, people with- might be interested in, in knowing a little bit about your vacation, um, your break, uh, your much-deserved and well-needed break. Uh, you were in the Carolinas. Well, first I was in beach. California, in California for the family matter that you and I right. know about. I had a death in the family, which was not expected. Um, that's hot on the heels of me having <laughs> problems with my neck that fortunately appear to be resolving themselves. But yes, I had a previously scheduled, it's been on my calendar for well over a year because we were not able to go last year, obviously. Um, But yeah, went down to North Carolina where my wife's family has a house and I did not know this. Yeah. um, They have a house very near the beach uh, in a place called Pine Knoll Shores, which is close to Atlantic Beach. It's uh, in the southern Outer Banks. Well, now that I have this information, <laughs> I shall be scheduling my next vacation <laughs> with or without thing. you. <laughs> do you want nice. a specific address so that I can? Um, yes, I would. Please, thank <laughs> well, you. Let me do that off the air if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, we're happy you're back. But um, yeah. uh, 
So, so you know, getting back to Mr. Cuomo, um, it's it's significant that you know even President Biden and Nancy Pelosi are both calling on him to resign, and um, uh, that ain't nothing. But at the same time, um, I'm not hearing anything about these allegations that's, uh, at least to my ear, and maybe this is a criminal defense lawyer, I mean, but that's super horrendous or anything. No. You know? And, and it might be uh, one of those, I mean, we've heard this before. I think we heard it from the Biden folks. It's kind of a generational thing. You know, I remember my grandfather, it was just the way people interact. You know, it's very folksy, I think, you know. How are you? You know, like if you if you want to express your admiration for somebody, there was a time fifty years ago, I guess, where you know you'd be more, a little bit more hands on than people are nowadays, just because culturally things have shifted. Agreed? Um, I don't know, <laughs> honestly, uh, because my family wasn't like that. We were not touchy feely at all. It was very much just like you know. <laughs> I mean, my father was a um, pretty typical of his time in the sense that uh, when he came home, he pretty much didn't want the kids around. He's like, uh, <laughs> no, no, you guys leave until dinner's ready, okay? Yeah, um, go back in your cages until... Yeah, uh, kind of. So it, it was not warm and fuzzy. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I get what you're saying. And um, uh, and 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 that's perfectly understandable. I. I just think again, the Democrats eating their own is is kind of a silly thing. But as far as a strictly legal analysis of this, you know, I don't see criminal charges going anywhere. I think these DA's offices are just cashing in on um, an opportunity to make some news for themselves. Yeah. So it's the hyenas surrounding the yeah you know, the injury, and then <laughs> and then the incoming mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, who hasn't been elected yet, but he won the primary, so he's pretty much going to get elected. Uh, he He's called on him to step down, too. And so, in fact, he's pushing the impe- impeachment. Mm-hmm. Now, I have mixed feelings about it. And this is an, I'd be interested in your thoughts on impeachment because um, uh, I have mixed feelings about it. <clears throat> because I think, and putting Trump aside, I'm just talking about like a cold look at the um, power and the process of impeachment and why it was included in the constitution and in state constitutions around the country. Uh, Because it seems like it's this non-criminal way to remove somebody from office and then, um, but the power to use it is so wide ranging. Like it's just, it's virtually anything can be impeachable. Right now, in the in the U.S. Constitution, it's high crimes and misdemeanors um, or bribery. But I don't know about the state constitutions. And well, it, it varies, obviously. It, yeah, it does. States are left. Uh, the states are allowed to make those standards broader or narrower as they see fit, and, or, or to not include impeachment if they will. <laughs> true and. And in New York State, New York State politics are rough and tumble, man. <laughs> I mean, they really are. And, um, you know, I can just see as soon as there's blood in the water, uh, people blowing up something that probably shouldn't be blown up as much as it is, uh, and using that power then for a power grab. And yeah. that disturbs me because 
It's supposed to be about misconduct, and I guess you could say this is misconduct. But is, is it impeachable? I don't know. You know, I mean, yeah. And is this is this, is this better left to the voters to, at the next election to say? Well, that's, and that's the problem. And that's what I think Democrats generally are going to be concerned about is that if you have to wait out um, and let the voters decide, and especially in a situation where people within his own party are going to. Uh, not have any support for him. And that, that's what I'm hearing. I mean, here, I'm hearing this all over the news that, you know, there's practically no Democrat left in New York that has any um, willingness to stand by him. So if the Republicans are going to jump all over him, of course. So if you've got every, I mean, I think this is going to be seen as number one uh, impeachment's necessary because of what we've already covered here, that he's not the kind of guy who's just going to say, yeah, you're right. I'm just going to go home. Um, and, in light of that, I think that what's going to happen is it might be a fairly easy impeachment process if you've got if he has no support from either party. You know, uh, that's the, that's the problem. And again, again, Democrats eating their own. That's the problem, right? Yeah, uh, like Rob Blagojevich. Remember him from Illinois? Oh my gosh, yes, Blagojevich. <clears throat> well, you know, okay, he sold he sold. Obama's Senate seat. Okay, yeah, that's bad. <laughs> Among other things, so he goes to prison. But before that, he got impeached, mm-hmm. and that was virtually unanimous mm-hmm. in the in the Illinois State Assembly. Um, and and so it might be on it might that might be the situation in New York too. It would be if I was in his shoes, I'd be thinking to myself about um, uh, what my legacy was, and um, it's one thing to stand strong, but it's another thing to be removed from office. And do I want to? do that boy that's that's rough i don't know well and then there's the other side of the coin which is uh, you were kind of getting at this before but if in fact he believes and if there are other people uh, um you know his constituents as it were believe that he is the best man for the job and that this is something that really has nothing to do with his effectiveness as a governor those are the types of things that are supposed to supersede all of this but again it should go to the voters in that case um, it'd be interesting to see if it actually does get to that point where he, he isn't removed, he doesn't step down, and what does that election look like? I'd be very curious. Because um, generally, you know, and I don't want to draw like broad brush conclusions here about what type of person would continue to support him. But when you've, when you've lost the Democrats, and everybody knows that the majority of Republicans do not think very kindly of Andrew Cuomo, um, it just raises the interesting question, like, what is the, what does that election look like? I don't know. But I guess we'll have to see. It's still unfolding. This is developing news. And I think we're both being guilty of, uh, you know, jumping. <laughs> like like we, we, we always criticize other other media outlets for, uh, you know, an hour long rant of what ifs. <laughs> so I, I do have some very interesting legal stuff to talk about. And okay. we're, we're coming up on a break in not too long, but I, I want to broach the subject of something very interesting that happened that I've been following for years. And this is actually a really in- cool development, if you ask me. Way back when I first started practicing um, and got involved in drunk driving defense in particular. And as I, you and I are both kind of techie people, you know, we like to keep up with what's going on with technology and how different, uh, you know, 
that kind of thing. I think we're in a generation where we're we're not quite the pen and pencil and paper generation, but then again, we don't do Twitter all day long. So we're like right in the middle, I think, you and I. But um, the U.S. Senate has introduced a bill that would require all car manufacturers to install a passive alcohol detection system, much like they're required to have seatbelts right now. And within 15 years, um, all auto manufacturers have to develop and implement the technology that would theoretically prevent a driver from being able to operate the vehicle if they're impaired. Now, how on earth? For 15 years now, about 15 years ago, they started looking into this technology. And I follow this because... So what? It's going to... Every car is going to have an IID? Yes. Something like that. Except it's not going to be... It's going to be passive. So there's one system that they're working on. Well, you know what? I'm going to list all the systems they're working on, but we have to take a break. I'll get into that as soon as we come back. We're back. And as I was starting to discuss right before we graciously stepped aside for our commercial sponsors... Um, there are a number of different systems that the, you know, the leading technology experts in the auto manufacturing business have been working on. And one of them is something that I've, I've known to be a technology that exists for quite some time. And it has to do with the steering wheel. There are two different ways that, that theoretically, at least uh, by design, would be relatively effective in measuring a person's um, ethanol concentration when they're holding the steering wheel. Now, you, have you ever been to the doctor when they put that little clippy thing on your finger to measure your oxygen saturation? Yeah. There is a similar method where infrared can be used to measure um, the ethanol that's in your bloodstream. I have. That involves have infrared lights. extreme lights. doubts about this already, <laughs> but go ahead. And then there's another method that also involves sensors that can um, detect in your tactile, you know, basically the same way that, or a similar way that a polygraph would be able to measure perspiration, a very, very sensitive way of being able to determine if you are, um, you know, even microscopically eliminating ethanol through your hands. Now, those actually, I think, are probably better technologies than this than some of these other ones that they're talking about there's this <laughs> this sounds goofy to me but there's one potential technology that's being um, developed that would monitor the, your eye movements and if the, the machine in your car detects that you're exhibiting signs of impairment due to your eye movement then it would you know make the vehicle inoperable that seems to me like something that would be fraught with problems Number one, uh, there's a condition, well, shoot, you know, nystagmus, which is what it would be looking for, can be caused by roughly, I think it's 86 different things. One of them them is alcohol. A very common thing is, you know, fatigue or, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. I I have something called Meniere's disease. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's where the equilibrium in your ears uh, deteriorates over time it's the fluidity in the, in the uh, parts of your inner ear that help you keep your balance basically. And as a result of that, a consequence can be nystagmus. So I kind of have nystagmus all the time as a result of this. So that means I might not be able to drive a car even when I'm completely sober under this technology, but there is another, um, a couple of other things that they're looking into. But the point is, um, 
this U.S. Senate has, has introduced this bill that would require auto manufacturers to come up with a technology that would do all of this. I think it's a little premature. I know that this has been in the works for a long time, but I think that they it should be demonstrated that there is a scientific basis for something that before you start ordering the car industry to start doing something, you should be sure that it's something that they can do and would work. But so I've seen this coming for years. Let's play an academic game real quick. Ooh, okay. Shoots and ladders. No, let's let's say that the science has been established, the Congress acts, it becomes law, and everybody starting now has to buy a car that will do one of those things, whatever the technology is, eye movements, finger, whatever it is. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and putting aside false positives and all that, there is a case in Wisconsin that says, and people are going to be shocked to hear this, I think, but there's a there's a, a court of appeals, maybe it's a Supreme Court case, that says that if you're in your car drunk and even if the engine's not running or, you know, you, you have the keys, the ignition maybe, if you have the intent to operate, <laughs> then you're operating a motor vehicle for purposes of the OWI law. Well, right, but it has to be expressed through some sort of um, – but what they've done – you're exactly right, John, but the way that it ends up panning out in court is that the prosecution can argue that certain things exhibit that intent, and it's usually an action such as you know, it can be a foot on the brake. It can be the keys are already in the ignition, even though the car is not yeah. on that kind of yeah. Thing. Well, I've had them. I've had them prosecute people who were sleeping. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the, then the theory is, you know, how did they get there? Where were they going to go afterwards? You know. Well, they were sleeping in a parking lot. You know. And right. so, it, anyway, the the point is, is that um, uh, if it's technologically impossible for you to start your car, and let's say you exhibit all those facts, you have the key in the ignition, your foot on the brake, blah blah blah. Is that still applicable? Uh, can you still be um, prosecuted under that theory? Well, no, because then you'd have a, an impossibility. Well, good point, because there, <laughs> there are cases where uh, someone is in a car that technically cannot move. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's not any an operable condition. Like it doesn't have wheels? doesn't have wheels or something. Like that. <laughs> okay. I mean, theoretically they could still prosecute somebody under the theory that they are still operating it, even though it's inoperable. I mean, we see those. Um, but I yeah. think at some point, I mean, if I ha I've had cases like that and I've always been able to get either the case dismissed or a jury instruction that's very specifically tailored. Because operation that, doesn't mean the car has to be moving. Oh, I know. I know that. But it, and, but um, it can be any of those but, subsets of things that you... But I think a lot of people are might be surprised to hear that. Oh, yeah. And... Um, uh, you know, and that's part of this desire by politicians to, um, you know, expand criminal laws and OWI laws uh, to these enormous widths to uh, increase the size of the net with which they can scoop people up. Well, wait, though. And I, I agree with you uh, in that most legislation we see in this particular area attempts to target drunk driving in ways where it makes the, the threat of or the risk 
of losing your livelihood or eternal incarceration being the threat. This is approaching it from a different angle, which I actually admire, because if they're trying to come up with a solution that doesn't depend upon treating everybody like they're a bad dog that needs to get spanked with a newspaper, that's that's progress in my mind. And I know you're probably see, playing devil's advocate, but I, 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 I see the point. I see yeah. your point. Yeah, absolutely. No, I am. I'm, I'm just running into an exercise, like an academic exercise, mostly, mostly for the uh, listeners to say, you know, um, uh, take a look at what the law actually is now, because, you know, in your mind, the, the certain charges conjure up certain images. Okay. Mm-hmm. So murder conjures up an image of somebody slashing somebody in an alley. Sexual assault conjures up an image of somebody abducting somebody, throwing them into a van and being violent with them. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, battery, assault, they, they, they conjure up. A How about false imprisonment? That's a good one because yeah. you can see that charge. With right, like, right. You're right. not leaving it until this discussion is done. Oop, you just false imprisoned me. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> but of course, um, and so OWI, you just picture somebody stumbling out of a bar, can't get into it, and then weaving down the road. And some people are like that, and some of them are like that. But that's not the typical one. No. At all. Not at all. <laughs> you um, nothing. You know, especially especially since the um, the BAC levels come down so far. I mean, in the fifties, I think it was one point point one five. Point one five was really when they when they started having a a limit. That's where it started practically everywhere. Is point one five. Right. And um, so I think my point is is that I think people need to have a broader view of what is criminalized conduct and um, how wide that net really is. Cause it's pretty wide. Yeah. And we get that. Um, that's, we get that all the time when people come to our office and they're like, Hey, I've been charged with this, but there's no way I could be guilty. Um, guess what? I'm going to explain the law to you and what they're going to try and do. And so right. oftentimes people are utterly shocked. Now, one, there's one thing that logically bothers me about all of that, the whole idea that you can be prosecuted based upon what the police think your intent is or, or whatever the case may be, the sleeping in the car scenario. Let's say you know, I'm in a situation where I've had a few and I think, oh, I'm good to drive. And then I realize after I've been driving for about five minutes that, no, I'm not good to drive. And I do the responsible uh, thing. And I pull over and I stop and I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit here and then figure out what to do. Um, should I walk home? Should I call a cab? Is it safe to leave my car here? Should I call my wife? Um, and then right when you're thinking about all that, the cop pulls up behind you. you know. So then you've got the situation where you've acted responsibly by realizing something that you didn't realize five minutes ago. And now you are taking that upon yourself to correct the situation. And you know know how that goes. I mean, it's the way that's the way impairment works, by the way. Um, It's not always static. One doesn't, you know, instantly become impaired and then it goes away after a certain number of hours, like an on off switch. I mean, it's an evolving sort of situation, but we've hit the bumper here. We got to take a break and we'll be right back after these messages. And we are back. All right, let's shift gears here a little bit 
and talk about the Supreme oh, Court. Wait, if you do that, you'll be operating a vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> but I am not impaired. <clears throat> so unless I am being reckless or breaking other summer rule of the road, you will let me proceed, sir. <laughs> or unless you're being inattentive. <laughs> um, no, there was a poll, a recent poll. It was a national poll, but it was from the Marquette University Law School, which does these occasionally, uh, more than occasionally, really. They have a whole system there. Um, but this poll wasn't a political poll. This whole poll was about the, uh, the Supreme Court's approval rating. And very interestingly, among GOP adults, it has dropped since last September from 80% to 57%. And during that period, since last December, Amy Coney Barrett, one of the most conservative justices, uh, joined the court. And so, um, you know, and part of it has to do with, I think, this public perception, wrongly, that um, that this should be a political body and that once you're elected, air quotes, by being appointed by the president, that everything should start to swing in the conservatives' way, including Roe versus Wade and whatever. Um, and and it's, it's, you know, we can slice and dice why conservatives are sour on, a, on the most conservative court that has existed in generations. Mm -hmm. Um but maybe it has to do with our kind of um, uh, jaded political environment right now. I don't know. Or just a lack of understanding how courts work. Yeah, I think that's part of it. But also, don't forget all the cases, the several of them, that reached the U.S. Supreme Court or stalled on the way, I should say and did not result in the entire election being thrown out or certain states being, you know, disqualified. Well, that's that's absolutely part of their electors. And, and I think there may have been a belief based upon a lot of rhetoric that that court could come to the aid of he who appointed them. Um, but in fact, we know legally they cannot, and they knew that all along. But I think that, you know, you listen to certain commentators, the talk, the talking heads that spin around, like, you know, I won't name names, but uh, that seem to uh, grasp for things to talk about on an ongoing basis <laughs> and laying blame wherever they can find it. I think that there's a large segment of the population that somehow believed that the role of the court is significantly greater than it is. And anybody who has uh, enough legal experience and enough of a track record to actually be even semi-qualified to be a candidate for the Supreme Court would realize that it is supposed to be, you know, uh, under the Constitution at a bare minimum, an entirely um, apolitical body, complete, completely free of um, political influence. Now, we all know that it happens, and we know that there are um, leanings that occur, although it is more along as I, I think you've noted before, it's more along conservative and liberal lines than it is along Democrat and Republican lines. And there is a difference. There is a difference. Um, well, I mean, let's look at some of the recent rulings. Uh, in June, the court sided with a, uh, in a unanimous ruling, they sided with a caster, 
excuse me, a Catholic foster care agency in Philadelphia that declined to screen same-sex couples as potential parents. That was unanimous. Then in a 7-2 to two ruling, they flipped around and um, they tossed the latest challenge to the Affordable Care Act. Um, and, uh, you know, but they did it on a very technical thing. They said they, they didn't have standing. And so um, I think that people view some of these rulings. And then there was that high school cheerleader who said oh, yeah. F you and, and everything. And, uh, and, and so the, the rulings are kind of all over the place. One appears to be kind of pro-liberal. One appears to be kind of pro-conservative. One appears to be neutral. And, and I think that's a result of John Roberts because he is an institutionalist and he wants the court to not be seen as political and for which I applaud him. But um, people, just casual observers who don't understand how the court works or how courts work, view them more as political institutions. And, um, and so they've, they view these scattered rulings when it's almost a unit, it's like a heavily conservative court. They view that as poor performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, right. I mean, why aren't they all conservative rulings? Why aren't they all in our favor? (laughs) Well, you're right. And that's because I think there's a, and I'm not blaming the general public for not understanding this stuff. It's incredibly complex. Uh, A case may end up not going in a particular direction because, as you've said, it could be based on standing, it could be based on jurisdiction, it could be based on, you know, whatever. Somebody didn't file something the right way. You know, there's all kinds of right. different ways that right. it can end up um, letting a lower court precedent stand or, you know, whatever the case may be. But um, it's so complicated that I, I don't think you get a whole lot of in-depth commentary anywhere unless you're really digging deep on, like, say, the Supreme Court. I know that there's one blog that does a really good analysis of all the reasoning behind why the court may accept uh, a petition for cert, why they may have declined it and does a really thorough in-depth review of it. But other than that, you don't, I think it's just too, I don't know, dry of a subject for mass consumption. That's my opinion. Um, But, you know, our own Supreme court, And we're not going to have time to get into all this, but I'll just give a little preview and we can pick up with it next week. Um, There were three decisions recently issued that are very significant that deal with uh, Fourth Amendment issues, which is the bread and butter of what you and I deal with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. But, um, and again, we'll have to get into the meat of all this next time, but State versus Van Beek, which was issued on June 4th, uh, State versus Genuis, also on June 4th and state versus Prado on June 18th. Um, these are, these are all three cases kind of scattered in terms of where they come down on things, but it's, this is pretty significant. I'll just tell you about, I know you've, you and I've talked about the Van Beek decision, but it's kind of interesting just as a preview as to when we can get into this in a little bit more detail in a future episode. But this is where an officer gets, um, basically sees somebody, engaging in what they think is uh, drug-related activity. Um, well, basically, there's a traffic stop. The officer takes the driver's license. Her name was Heather, actually. Takes Heather's license and uh, goes back to run a records check. We see that all the time, right? 
You know, mm-hmm. so right. the cop needs the license in order to go back to the car and run the check. So the, the cop is in possession of the license. At that point, any reasonable driver would not feel free to leave because you can't drive without your license. Correct? Correct. So was that lawful? Yes, because it's a temporary uh, detention, right? I mean, we've learned that based on Terry versus Ohio. and Yeah, and all it's always cases. bothered me, but yes. Yes. Okay. So now the officer comes back and starts, uh, there's, there's finds out everything's cool. There's really no reason to, um, detain her any further, but ends up talking to her while still holding on to the license. And basically what he was doing was he was trying to stall waiting for a canine unit to respond. And this is a tactic that has sort of arisen as a result of, you and I are familiar with other cases that have dealt with the uh, unnecessary delay in a traffic stop where it goes beyond its initial purpose. So what the cop was doing here is something that I know police are being trained to do now is that don't dilly dally in the car, go back to the car and then just keep talking while you're waiting for the drug dog to show up. If you have no other reason to, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Right. Because yep. you could be accused exactly of stalling by the perfect, ex- the perfect example of having a rule, Rodriguez mm-hmm. uh, mission of the stop can't delay beyond that. And then, and then the institutions that enact actual people's lives and the law um, uh, find ways around it and play little games so, like that. So what happens in Van Beek is the officer still has the license in his hand, and he just starts strikes up a conversation. Now, you know, unbeknownst to the driver, the, the cop is waiting for the drug dogs to show up, and there's no... He didn't have probable cause or anything. He just didn't like the way she looked or something like that. And then the fact that he didn't hand the license to her right away was what ended up getting her conviction reversed. So this is our Supreme Court of Wisconsin that reversed the conviction based on the officer holding on to the license for too long, which I found fascinating. But so there is um, was, was that reversal, was that reversal um, with prejudice or is she going to be retried? No, uh, remanded with instructions to grant the motion to suppress. So Got she it. wins, um, which is very nice. Anyway, we'll talk about those other cases when we come back next week, but we're fresh out of time. Oh, uh, no. I know. Well, welcome back. Thank you. We uh, are happy uh, that you're back, and uh, we're all going to uh, continue doing what we're doing, which is um, uh, actually uh, defending people. Right. Unlike, unlike <laughs> some awesome. other lawyers. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good weekend, everybody. You can tune in here next week as you can every week right here on 1330 and 101.5 WHBL. This has been Legal Defense with Kirk and John. Have a great